0: Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Sunday, August the 21st, 2021. On Sundays, we're supposed to ruminate on the human condition, and that's exactly what we're going to be doing today. We've done a A couple of really interesting shows, I think, recently on what human beings can learn from animals. We did one last week with Justin Gregg. uh, uh, He has a a fascinating new book out called If Nietzsche Were a Narwhal, What Animal Intelligence Reveals About Human Stupidity. It's all about what we can learn as humans from animals about how to be a little more intelligent. We did a similar show a couple of weeks ago with the Atlantic writer Ed Yong on how animals can help humans develop empathy. His best-selling new book, An Immense World, reveals that so many of our writers and books focus on the human condition, what it is, how we can improve it, and also how problematic it is. We're dealing with the problematic side today of the human condition. Um, Some of you are familiar with creepy pastas, these internet memes that are horror content posted on the internet. One of them, uh, some of you be familiar with, is something called Slender Man, a fictional supernatural character. Um, some of these uh, imaginary uh, memes on the internet, are, of course, aren't troubling. But Slender Man went from a spooky internet legend to a real-life horror story, a truly dreadful story, the story of two girls who um, killed another girl, um, two 12-year-olds trying to murder a friend. Uh, This has been put in book form by my guest today, Kathleen Hale, Slender Man, Online Obsession, Mental Illness and the Violent Crime of Two Midwestern Girls. Uh, Kathleen, who is normally based in Los Angeles, is joining us from a hotel room in Boston today. Kathleen, before we get into the tragic details of slender man are there broad lessons on this sunday that we can learn about this story about the human condition these two supposedly innocent well they are innocent in a way as much as any 12 year old can be innocent or guilty uh, 12 year olds who murdered one of their friends
1: um yeah definitely i mean some of the important parts of the case that I sort of dive into in my book is um, to dispel a lot of myths surrounding the case. Uh, One is that this was a murder. Um, A lot of people think it was. It was not. The victim miraculously survived. And there's two horror stories going on in this book. The first one is the crime itself, which was horrifying uh, for obvious reasons. But a second horror story began after the girls were arrested and prosecuted as adults under Wisconsin law and shepherded into a broken justice system. Um, And one of their journeys in particular really showcases how shameful and lacking our mental health resources in the United States are.
0: Kathleen, is this above all else? And I want to get into some details on this because we've done a number of shows in the past about mental health, particularly the mental health of teenagers. Is this Slender Man story above all else, uh, a mental health story?
1: It's uh, definitely not Slenderman's story. the The title is rather ironic. Um, one of the things that I dispel, one of the myths that I dispel, is this idea that Slenderman caused this crime. That scary stories caused this crime. You know, um, we have a really rich history of blaming child on child violence on new media, whatever the newest form of media is. You, you know, you probably remember Columbine was blamed on violent video games and Marilyn Manson. and you go as far back as Leopold and Loeb in 1924 that was blamed on detective novels. So we come up with very uh, dramatic and creative ways of sort of mythologizing child-on-child violence, but at the heart of these kinds of stories, there's usually uh, more to know.
0: So the New York Times review of your book uh, asks why did two 12-year-olds try to murder a friend? What headline do you think Uh, should summarize this story. And and, and could you perhaps briefly, Kathleen, tell everybody, our, our audience, what exactly this story comprises of? Take away all the mythology, all the headlines, all the nonsense.
1: Sure. Um, I don't know if I could distill it into a headline. I wish I could. I think it's a really, really hard crime to summarize because there's so many factors at play, but I will uh, do my best, which is to say that in 2014, Morgan Geyser, who is 12 years old, and her neighbor, Anissa Weyer, who is also 12, conspired to uh, murder Morgan's best friend, Peyton Leutner, uh, in order to both honor and uh, assuage Slender Man. They were afraid that he would kill their families uh, and them if they did not do this and they thought that they had to run away and live in his mansion and be his servants forever. The thing that people don't usually talk about when they talk about this crime is that Morgan Geyser had the rarest form of schizophrenia uh, leading up to this crime. It was undiagnosed, but she started hallucinating at the age of three. When she was five, she looked in the mirror and she saw a tall lanky figure standing behind her. It was very scary. Morgan's other hallucinations were not scary. They were good friends. But this one was there for a little while and then it was gone. And so when Anissa, her neighbor, introduced her to Slenderman, Morgan recognized him as this being who had appeared to her in the mirror. And without the sort of resources at hand to help her understand what was going on in her mind, she constructed a story around Slenderman and keeping him from returning. And uh, she and Anissa got swept up in this horrible plan that obviously turned out to be very toxic and pointless and sad.
0: You use the term, um, or Kathleen, schizophrenia. We did a show last month with Orna Ophir, who teaches at New York University, an expert on schizophrenia. She, in fact, has a new book out, Schizophrenia and Unfinished History. In her presentation, schizophrenia has become a much less fashionable, much less used term and condition within the medical health, with mental health, mental illness community. When you use that term, are you using it scientifically? Is that your interpretation? Is that her interpretation?
1: No, it's been diagnosed by, uh, you know, countless uh, independent doctors at a psychiatric facility, a government-run psychiatric facility called Winnebago Mental Health Institute, which is for forensic patients. And it also runs in her family. Her father was diagnosed with schizophrenia as a teenager. Um, and there's a there's a genetic component to the disease. And so this wasn't something that was self-diagnosed, and it's not something that I invented either. Um, it's something that was diagnosed in a hospital setting by psychiatrists.
0: And, and what should we, as non-medical people, what should we interpret as this condition meaning that you're liable to I mean, we're all capable, obviously, of fantasizing, of imagining things, but this is a a medical condition, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it's a a neurological uh, disorder, brain disease, whatever you want to call it. There are different terms for it legally and medically, Um, but no, it's um, you can see it on an MRI. They can now uh, diagnose it with a blood test. There have been Israeli studies that just came out recently, um, and they've shown what doctors sort of new anecdotally to be true which is that psychosis kills brain cells so schizophrenia is a degenerative illness and you can decompensate over time and it can cause long-term cognitive problems um so it's it's Uh, Some people have auditory hallucinations, some people have visual hallucinations, some people have command hallucinations, which are the hallucinations that tell them to do things and sort of seek to control their behaviors. Um, Morgan had auditory and has auditory and visual hallucinations that can be controlled with antipsychotics. Um, What I found interesting about Morgan's case and what it taught me about schizophrenia is that you know, often we associate the word schizophrenia with people that we might see in like cities who are talking to themselves and walking around and don't have, you know, resources to help them deal with what's going on and they are confused and having very loud conversations with the sky, but um, you can actually have schizophrenia and function and, and uh, straddle these like sort of multiple realities, and Morgan's father is able to do that without medication because he has relatively mild hallucinations, and Morgan, for a time, was able to do it too. So she was she was succeeding in school, getting good grades, um, doing her schoolwork, and also at the same time having these constant uh, visual and auditory hallucinations and. Um, the thing about schizophrenia is, like, whereas you, you and you or I could get kind of maybe like lost in our imaginations. I mean, that's what I do for a living. Someone with schizophrenia cannot control their auditory and visual hallucinations. But Morgan was able to at least ask them. They were there with her, but she would ask them to be quiet when she was busy. But as she sank lower and lower into the into the illness, and you know, as various traumas triggered. Um, increasing psychosis, she lost that ability to straddle those two worlds and she lost reality contact. And um, after her arrest, she dissolved into full-blown psychosis and the state of Wisconsin, uh, the judge on her case made various decisions that ensured that she would not receive medication for 19 months, which is um, very abusive and very dangerous. Um, She was in psychosis that entire time. And like I said before, it's very, very, very bad for the brain.
0: Yeah, I, I want to get later to the, the the criminal justice angle in the story, but let's talk a little bit more about mental health. And we've done, as I said, many shows. We did one with Lucy Falks on the pandemic's impact, losing our mind, what mental illness really is and what it isn't. Also did a show with the, uh, with the memoirist uh, Kylie Leddy on mental illness, a pandemic afflicting American young women. She has a new book out, The Perfect Other, about the suicide of her sister, of her teenage sister. Are there lessons we can learn about the mental health? And and perhaps you might correct me if I use this wrong incorrectly, the pandemic affecting young women. Uh, And I'm particularly curious as to the impact on the other woman who didn't have Uh, schizophrenia and and how she got dragged into this?
1: Uh, Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that we can learn from a crime like this is that we really need to work on talking about these things and normalizing discussion about mental illness, um, treating it like a medical issue and and not like a debatable uh, personality failure. (laughs) Um, And if we knew how to talk about these things, crimes like this, would not occur. Um, but we don't, and we're not there yet. And I'm really glad that we're starting to discuss it and that these books are coming out that you mentioned. I think that we're entering sort of a new phase um, with our society, and people are open to these discussions, um, which is exciting. Uh, as far as Anissa, um, what ended up happening, according to her attorneys, and this all came out in, in trial in her defense, was that she and Morgan had such a close uh, connection that Morgan's symptoms kind of transferred to Anissa. Um, A sort of reference point for this theory is maybe like mass hysteria, the way that sort of people can feed off of each other. Um, Specifically, Anissa's attorneys argued for something called shared psychosis, also known as folie de, which was conceived in the 19th century in France. And it basically says that in a close partnership, there, there can be two personalities, dominant personality and then the recipient. And if the dominant personality has mental health issues, the recipient, the less dominant person in the relationship can start to exhibit symptoms of those same issues. Um, And so they effectively argued in court that Anissa was not guilty by reason of insanity, even though she was not diagnosed with a mental illness because of her close relationship to Morgan. And it it was very, very surprising that the jury found her NGRI. It's a very rare verdict in general. And in this case in particular, it was a very creative defense and everyone was very surprised that it worked.
0: You talk about talking, parents talking to their daughters. Again, we've done lots of shows on that, one with Kimberly Wolfe, the author of Talk With Her about why parents and fathers in particular need to talk, talk, talk to their daughters. But you're suggesting that one of the fathers of, of one of the girls had the same condition. So, the idea that parents can somehow correct their girls when they their daughters, in particular, when they have some sort of uh, mental illness or mental affliction, it's more complicated than that, isn't it, Kathleen?
1: I mean, yeah, of course, it's um, it's more complicated than just being able to talk about it in families because. Uh, We also need to be talking about it in terms of lawmaking and government resources and socially we need to accept it culturally we need to accept it as a medical problem, because it wasn't just the fact that Morgan's parents were not talking to her about the fact that her father has schizophrenia, it was also that her. Her teachers were ignoring warning signs at school. And then once she ended uh, entered the criminal justice system, there was absolutely no conception of it whatsoever, uh, no accounting for it. And um, in fact, like it came out in court, and I was very aware of the fact that in this particular county and in a legal context, the reality of mental illness itself is debatable. So people, some people just don't believe it's real at all. Um, And that was shocking um, to witness.
0: We did a show (laughs) with Kevin Birmingham, the biographer of Dostoevsky, and particularly wrote a book about how Dostoevsky came to write Crime and Punishment, uh, The Sinner and the Saint. Dostoevsky and the Gentleman Murderer Who Inspired a Masterpiece. Dostoevsky, of course, was very interested in crime and perhaps in the morality or lack of morality in crime. Do you consider this book, um, Kathleen, to be about crime or about something else? Do you think we should even use this word, crime, when describing the Slender Man story?
1: I mean, absolutely. It's definitely a true crime story. It's a the there is a crime at the heart of this book, and there's no debating the fact that a crime occurred. Morgan Geyser stabbed. Peyton Leutner 19 times. She victimized Peyton Leutner. Um, what then happened is that the state of Wisconsin victimized Morgan Geiser. And I think it can be hard, especially in the United States uh, where our justice system is so revenge oriented to hold those two ideas at once. The idea that somebody can commit a violent act, a criminal act, and then become a victim themselves in the, the process of punishment.
0: Uh, you, uh, you you've talked about the criminal justice angle, um, and uh, in the Wikipedia entry, uh, oh, the the two girls were committed to mental health institutions for sentences of twenty five years to forty years to life, as you suggest in uh, in Wisconsin, in a rather rural part of Wisconsin. What does this tell us, um, Kathleen, about? The vindictive quality of the American justice system. Is this a typical a, a typical American justice narrative, or is there something unusual about it?
1: It's both. Um, prosecuting children as adults has become so normalized in the United States, people are very desensitized to it. In Wisconsin, when these two 12 year olds were prosecuted, prosecuted as adults, and one of them has a severe disability, people actually um, wanted more they didn't think it was harsh enough they wanted them to receive the death penalty which obviously is had has been abolished in in wisconsin for like 100 years but that's what they wanted um what makes the case more unique is that the ngri verdict is an incredibly hard uh, verdict to get and both the girls got that in this case and so that that was surprising and then the other thing that I think is important to note is that um, they needed to go for an NGRI not just because the girls had mental health issues but in order to get them into a humane environment and not send them to a women's prison um, the ho- A hospital, a forensic hospital, is not the kind of place where anyone wants to be, for sure. I spent a lot of time there with Morgan, um, but it it was the only humane option for them at that point because there was no chance, no hope, and no option for them to go through the juvenile justice system, which is harsh in its own way, and there's a lot of issues there too, but at least the policies and the, the resources are geared toward children, whereas Morgan and Anissa weren't weren't receiving any of those resources, the mental health resources, the educational resources, all of those things were withheld from them because of their adult status.
0: How much time have you spent with
1: the two guys? <laughs> I spent about about um 20, 20 hours, and hours in person with Morgan and, Morgan and she and I and she, she and I phone. phone. phone countless times over the past uh, five years, Um, and I never met Anissa. Um, There were a number of people involved in this case who would not speak to me, it bears noting. Anissa, her family, her her lawyers, Peyton Leutner, her family, um, the judge on the case, the Waukesha Police Department. The geysers, Morgan, her mother, her father, her grandparents, her attorneys, they were the ones who did agree to speak with me. So um, in a way, this is very much her story uh, from from page one, although the two other girls do have their own sort of arcs and have have strong coming of age stories in their own right. Those stories were drawn from court records, like a thousand pages of court records and um, various other things, but various interviews that they gave. Not to me, but I spent a great deal of time with Morden.
0: Did you choose to write the the book, Kathleen, um, because of your sense of profound injustice around this trial or because of an interest in mental illness or perhaps because of the way, for example, that the Internet seems to get blamed for everything these days? (laughs)
1: <laughs> um, I definitely had uh, some personal reasons for being drawn to the story. Uh, what initially got me interested in it was I just kept waiting for somebody to sort of tackle what I thought was the obvious question. I wanted—I I was waiting for someone to kind of scoop my angle and, ans- and answer my question for me. And my question was, why is the state of Wisconsin prosecuting two children, one of whom is severely mentally ill, as adults? And no one did. And it just the derivative news cycle of focusing on. Sl- under man and the number of stab wounds continued the misconception that Peyton was dead continued. And so eventually I went out to answer the question myself, just because I, I really wanted to know. Um, I was a new mother. I have two, I have two daughters and my eldest was four months old when I started reporting this story in earnest. And I think a lot of people, maybe even most people who are parents who hear about this crime, the first thing that springs to mind for them is like, what if my child were stabbed. And I had um, a different reaction, which is, what if my child hurt somebody? What if my child was really sick and I didn't know it? And um, and I had to watch them get taken away and punished severely. And I wasn't able to touch them or help them or anything like that. So that was really haunting um, to me. And I didn't really realize how controversial that uh, perspective on the story was until i started to write about it and report on it in in earnest but i was definitely drawn to it as a mother um and i guess as a reporter and uh, yeah all of those things
0: it certainly hits a nerve on so many levels it must have been a very challenging book emotionally let alone intellectually to write i i thought the new york times review um uh it was, was a little unkind at first. He said, if there's a true crime voice, it's that of a Midwestern primetime news anchor, totally deracinated and me- mellifluous, the kind that makes the worst horrors seem matter of the fact, not occasions for contemplation, but for strict punishment. That isn't exactly Kathleen Hale's voice. Exactly, but it's close. I'm guessing, Kathleen, that you, you tried to maintain a, a dispassionate, voice in a book like this, it must be very hard.
1: Yeah, it's actually exactly the word that I would use to describe it. It took several very different drafts to achieve this sort of dispassionate tone uh, that I was going for. Um, It's both dispassionate and compassionate at the same time, but I was dealing with such loaded issues um, that I knew that if I wanted to draw people into the story, from different parts of the country like I want people in Wisconsin to be able to read this too and their politics are obviously quite different I would need to just present the the facts in order um, in the way that I thought painted a story but not not editorialized too much because I wanted people to be able to draw their own conclusions about what was going on.
0: You had two of the top editors in the business Morgan Entrican and uh, Peter what's Peter's last name? Black Uh, Peter Blackstock, yeah, from Grove. I'm guessing that this was the the kind of book that that, that needed some degree of editorial guidance. Is that fair, Kathleen? Or maybe I'm exaggerating, especially Morgan, tends to be quite opinionated, for better or worse.
1: Um, I was really lucky. I had a lot of freedom with this. They were very... They really just gave me permission to run with it. Uh, they gave me a ton of time to finish it. And they sort of bear—they bore, they bore with me while I did some pretty extensive overhauls because the first two drafts, I just didn't think that they were right. And so I had to write it again from scratch. And they stuck by me the whole way, and I really, really appreciate it. They've been really supportive and allowed me to sort of make this what I wanted it to be.
0: You have your own interesting history, Kathleen, too. Um, you confronted one of your you 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 wrote a couple of books for kids, um, and you confronted one of your um, one of your critics um, and you published a book. Kathleen Hale is a crazy stalker, six essays by yourself, quite a controversial book, and quite a controversial issue of confronting one's online critics. Did that experience? help you make sense in any way of the slender man story
1: it definitely um served as an entry point for my um i guess you would call it a yeah a relationship a reporter subject relationship with angie i i think that the experience of being cancelled sort of gave me a different level of compassion for some of the stuff that she was specifically going through online, because after this happened, the, the commentary about her uh and her husband and parenting and how it was all their fault it was coming from her coming at her from all directions into every inbox on every social media platform um and of course she she looked at all the comments under these articles which we all know is not a um very healthy thing to do but it's a very human impulse and so i felt for her on that level and then i think that um it also it also allowed Angie a little bit to trust me because she knew that I had also gone through this cancellation, gone through this sort of public shaming, and that I had a certain degree of empathy for this, not just what she was going through in general, but sort of more specific elements of what it was like to to watch this unfold online as um, as you know a second party person
0: it's a very troubling it's it's heartbreaking on so many levels this story uh kathleen Some i may be watching and think where are we right now on uh, august 21 2022 uh, uh, i found a, a headline about uh, one of the the women uh, drops a release request are there still major criminal justice issues to be resolved and if people care where should they Put their energy in trying to to turn this injustice into a better form of justice.
1: It's a really, really good question. I mean, I can't help but notice that in the sort of sub headline of that article that you just put up, it called Morgan and Anissa women, and it called Peyton a sixth grader, and that's something that I find really interesting. About right? Their-
0: exactly. Yeah. It's hardly. It's, uh, it's not very sophisticated, <laughs> is it? I mean, the two women were 12 years old.
1: They were all sixth graders, but the the demarcation of, like, these people are adults and this person's a child is sort of true throughout the reporting and remains true. Um, um, yes, there are there are issues in the judicial system slash mental uh, health, the overlap between those two things that are still going on in Morgan's case. Anissa has been released. Morgan is still in the hospital. And the problem is that people who have been found NGRI They end up serving twice as long, if not more, in hospitals than they would have served in prisons. So it's definitely not the get-out-of-jail-free card that people think it is. And the reason that that happens is once the maximum sentence on a person's disposition Uh, which is a hospital equivalent of a sentence, is reached, Um, their petition for release crosses the desk of the same judge who oversaw their case to begin with. And in Morgan's case, that is an elected judge in one of the most Republican counties in Wisconsin, Um, a county that really believes in adult crime at all time, and a county that really wanted Morgan to not just go to prison for 65 years, but be killed. Um, And so if he wishes to, or whatever judge replaces him upon his retirement, if they wish to avoid the controversy of allowing a famous psych patient out of the hospital, they can just ignore her petition and her maximum sentence can roll over indefinitely. So she can, she could, you know, spend the rest of her life in, in there. And that's a really big problem in her case specifically, because the the whole case is hotly politicized and that's the problem when you have an elected official as a judge.
0: In a broader cultural sense you made the note that of in this headline people watching one of two Wisconsin women and of course referring to the girls these were as much girls as the victim do you think one of the lessons of this terrible tragedy on so many levels Ka- Kathleen is that we are over Fetishizing the distinction between girls and women, between being a child and being an adult. You've written books both for adults and for children. Do you think the problem is we focus too much on girls versus women? Or do you think the problem is that we haven't we don't focus on it and enough? I can see both arguments. And so maybe both coexist in a weird way.
1: Yeah, that's really, really great question. I think that the the reason in this particular case that Morgan and Anissa were referred to as young women or assailants or even women and the victim was referred to as a little girl or a 12-year-old or a 6th grader is because people instinctively need to come up with ways to justify these adult adjudication laws. Um, and. It's 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 just I think it's something that people don't really want to entangle. People don't want to talk about the fact that in Wisconsin, children 10 and older are prosecuted as adults in uh, instances of violent crime and in uh, according to the law, a very serious crime turns someone into an adult. Um, And so that's just sort of baked into our consciousness that these girls are adults because they committed a grisly crime and uh, then we need to dramatize the dynamic between them and their victim in order to avoid thinking about some of these uh, darker, more (laughs) gnarly for a lack of a better term issues that we have in our you know government uh and things that are not easily fixed
0: yeah and as so many writers have reminded us children are just as capable of grisly crimes as adults when you have to read lord of the flies or so many other books of that sort it's a wonderful um book i mean i'm not sure if the right word is wonderful kathleen but it's certainly an important book slender man Online obsession, mental illness, and the violent crime of two Western girls, uh, two mid-not West, the Midwestern girls. Uh, final question: Is there anything positive that we can learn on the on the public, uh, the, 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 the the public policy issue in terms of mental health? We had Thomas Insel on the show, a very influential public uh, health expert on mental illness in California. As a new book out healing our path from mental illness to mental health is there any policy stuff that you were convinced with in 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 the reporting of this slender man story
1: i mean i i worry that our mental health care system is so broken that it can't be fixed and i know that that's not a very positive note to end on but i think that Um, we're really at like a fourth grade reading level for most people when it comes to mental illness. And in order to, uh, get, you know, new policies passed and new institutions set up and new resources for this, uh, incredibly huge population of people who suffer from severe mental illnesses, we're going to need to start believing that it's real and um that is a that is a very uh, scary and tricky situation to be in where we're living in two different realities according to our politics and we're going to need to come together and really have a respectful conversation that ends in everybody believing that schizophrenia is a medical condition and not just an invention um, Mm. by people who want to get out of trouble for whatever reason. And so I'm not optimistic about this, any of this being fixed in our lifetime.
0: In a weird kind of way, this two worlds of schizophrenia is being realized in, in America. If We are at a fourth grade level. Kathleen Hale's new book, Slender Man, Online Obsession, Mental Illness, and the Violent Crime of Two Midwestern Girls will at least be uh, the beginnings of an education. Congratulations, Catherine, again on the book. It's quite an achievement on lots of levels. What else are you reading these days? I hope you're reading something a little bit more cheerful.
1: (laughs) I wish I could say that I tend to like pretty dark uh, things. Um, I tend to read a lot of uh, true crime and a lot of... Thriller fiction. I loved The Last House on Needless Street, which is a novel. I um, love If You Tell by Greg Olson, which is about um, a female psychopath. It's a it's true crime. I love John Mars's novel, What Lies Between Us. It's incredible. And I love I just read Anne Rule's book, Small Sacrifices, which is also great. Um, yeah, I, I've been reading a lot, uh, strangely about Female psychopaths. I just did a reading list for crime raids on that. Um, I, my book is not about psychopaths, but that tends that's that's sort of what I'm into right now.